It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of life and study is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, John 17, 3, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek him of it, Proverbs 2, verse 3. Well, I welcome you to today's edition of The Line of Fire. With those words, those are the rules and precepts of Harvard University, 1642, so over 400 years ago, that the purpose of learning, according to Harvard University at that time, was to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and to become wise, basing knowledge, learning, and wisdom on God and His Word. Welcome to the program. Hi, my name is Alex McFarland. Very, very honored to be sitting in for my friend Dr. Michael Brown, a brother, colleague, and friend. And uh, Dr. Brown and his great staff asked me to sit in to do that. I just got in from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, actually. And I want to apologize in advance. I sound a little bit nasal. And I've got, it's like an allergy thing, it's not a cold, I'm not contagious or anything like that, but if you've ever had a sinus infection, it's kind of like having a concussion without having been hit in the head. You just feel kind of weird. But the good Lord has uh, given me the opportunity to do the program, and I'm honored to do it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot in the news, and one thing that I think a lot of people are talking about is the the fall of the stock market uh, precipitously today in light of a lot of things, the coronavirus um, spreading, and, you know, it's they really just don't know the extent of it. But I want to bring on a very special friend of mine. In all of our conferences, 46 major citywide events that we've done in the last 22 years, we've had a lot of speakers None get as much positive feedback as this great brother, Kamal Salim. And, uh, hey, you can probably, outside of the studio where I am, you can hear a train go by. If you could hear that train whistle, somebody asked me. Because, hey, I'll tell you this, and, and we're going to get to our guest. For eight years, during the, during the Obama years, the train track across the street from my studio was like knee-deep in weeds, and maybe two to three trains a month would go by. True story. Nowadays, the train tracks are all shiny, and there are no weeds because the train goes by about every hour on the hour. I mean, like into three in the morning, trains are going by, and I watch the trains go by with steel and cars and drywall and lumber. And uh, somebody said, don't you get tired of those trains going by? I said, not at all. That's the sound of a president doing his job. But uh, we do conferences, Truth for a New Generation, and certainly the most talked about speaker of anybody that we've ever booked. And we've booked a lot of people is Kamal Saleem. Uh, He and I go way back. But I wanted to bring him on because one of the news stories that was in the weekend news was about the death of Philip Haney. Um, in the, the Department of Justice during the Obama years, he's become a pundit. But he was found 
dead by a gunshot wound to the chest, and uh, they are calling it suicide, but literally hundreds of articles are on the internet questioning that and talking about, you know, not only was that a very unusual, very unlikely way to take one's own life, but he really didn't have the the necessary preconditions for suicidal ideation. Um, and so we're going to talk about that by with someone who knew him, our colleague and friend Kamal Salim. Kamal, are you there? Sir, I'm with you, and thank you for the honor to be with you one more time, Brother Alex. And thank you for being a champion and a hero for the United States of America and to the kingdom of God. God well, bless you for all you do. It's a privilege to be with you. Well, it's a privilege to have you, Kamal. We love God and country, and, and we love you. Just um, before we talk about the Philip Haney story, uh, give a little of your background. Uh, bring people up to speed on on the Kamal Salim story. Well, in a nutshell, I was uh, born in Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, to a Muslim Sunni family, uh, which, uh, unlike many uh, people that they read on terrorism, uh, the milk that I drank from my mother's uh, bosoms was uh, about, you know, the, the actual, where, where I became terrorist in, in identity and spirit and character. She prepared me, you know, in, in our home for the next move that, uh, you know, that's what will happen in my life. At the age of... Uh, Seven, uh, my dad got me out of school because I was not a smart student uh, or, you know, like my other brothers. I was very naive and uh, trustworthy, you know, in many different ways. So I started working and uh, only to find out at seven years of age, uh, the, the harsh uh, culture spiritually and physically uh, was so brutal that I was beaten several times by different gangs because... I could not walk uh, to uh, where I'm going to work, so I had to, uh, I mean, I could not uh, drive or I could not take a bus because we could not afford it. So I had to walk, and in result, uh, uh, you know, it was severe, you know, punishment. And one day I ran into the mosque, uh, which is Islamic uh, temple where the Muslim pray, and it's not like the church. It's, it's totally different in identity and character. Uh, what happened is a group of brotherhood rose up and protected me that day. They're called the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm. The journey took me on a lifetime being part of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, being trained by them to do what's called culture jihad, which is infiltrating the Western civilization to turn the, the culture from within uh, for the benefits of bringing Islamization into the culture. At the age of, uh, of seven, the whole group joined uh, the TLO, and we, uh, at that time it's called Fatah. I became, you know, one of my first teacher was uh, Yasser Arafat, and I shot my AK-47 at the age of seven, and I did my first mission to Israel, carrying explosive and uh, weapon caches uh, to, to kill Jew, basically, you know, at the age of mm. seven. And then at the age of eight, at the age of 14, my life took me on, on on jihad. I was prepared to do jihad. And uh, the, the last journey in my life, uh, it sent me to the United States of America. I was commissioned to come by the, the Saudi Islamist group. You know, it was the royal family uh, that were funding our mission. They infiltrate the culture from within. And um, our commission was to infiltrate the school system, the education professors, the political system and senators, the House representative and a mayor and city council, governors, 
and also other, you know, uh, places like uh, jail system to, to, to convert, you know, people angry, mad to Islam so they can fight with us against this, their own nation. And last but not least, to infiltrate the poor neighborhoods to subjugate the people to Islam by virtues and by, you know, become as help. But that help was, you know, disguised. So I had a car wreck at that, uh, you know, at one year, and uh, I was uh, severely injured, fracturing my neck in two places, and my left side was uh, totally devastated. But in result, three men reached out to me. Uh, one of them is just a business Christian man, and uh, one was the doctor, the surgeon at the hospital, and the third one was the head of physical therapy. Right. These men, I found out that they belong to a special group, Christian uh, businessmen uh, group, and uh, they reached out to me, and in their life, in their home, I found Christ, and I started seeing my God and your God for the first time, because I thought that they're the same God, but they're not. And I found that your God loved the world, that he sure. gave his only begotten son to to bring out the spirit of adoption of Jesus Christ. Well, my God hated the world, and he asked us to make everyone in our image to hate and kill and destroy. And when God gave his life, one took nearly 300 million lives. When God, you know, healed the blind, when God uh, tell, told the blind, you're not good enough. When God said to the prostitute, go sin no more. One God says to the prostitute, stone her to death because she's a woman and she's a prostitute. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ and I gave my life to him. And I've been fighting, you know, uh, uh, for uh, to expose the agenda of uh, radical Islam, uh, number one, and educate the churches, the pastors, and what so have you. But the more important than anything else is to redeem Ishmael, where to bring God promises in the Bible for the last days, people, so-called Muslim redemption in Christ Jesus, where God said he will redeem them. And so we teach how to reach the Muslims and how to really approach that subject with knowledge, because we teach our children everything, but we never taught them on how to reach the Muslims. Basically, this is in a nutshell. Are you there? Um, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but uh, I'm standing by here. And uh, so my life today, we I have a ministry. It's called Kuhn Ministries. Kuhn Ministries, it, it means Arise Ministries. And it is to educate and to teach and uh, to, to, to prepare the ways before the living God. Hey, Byron, are you there? I'm sorry? Am I... It's, am I on? Okay. Okay. Hey, sorry, folks. We were having a little bit of a technical difficulty there. Um, but uh, is our guest there, engineer? Yes, I'm right here. Okay. Kamal, I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you for a second, and I thought we had lost you there for a second. But tell a little bit about why you believe the Filipini death is suspicious. Well, first of all, Philip Haney is not uh, just a, a man that I knew. Uh, I mean, I knew all. Philip Haney was a friend. We spoke several places all over uh, the United States of America. And uh, I'm really, with heavy heart, I'm very sad, you know, about what happened to him. 
he was uh, killed in California. He was found outside of his car, you know, and uh, was shot to his, uh, you know, chest. And, the, you know, the first, the initial report came out, it's a suicide. But from knowing uh, Brother Haney, you know, uh, he is a brother. He, he was, uh, he's young, 66 years old, engaged, very engaged. And, and he was ready to get married, you know, and, uh, and he has two daughters. Uh, he moved to California for this reason, you know, to, to, to really establish his new life. He's uh, one of the originators and the builders of the Department of Homeland Security, one of the very few. He's an intelligent, uh, you know, officer. Uh, he, he was active on Christian radio stations. Did I lose you? The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Okay, we're back on. Alex McFarland here sitting in for Dr. Brown, and we've got Kamal Salim on the line. Sorry for a little bit of the technical glitches, but Kamal, are you still there? Absolutely. Okay. Hey, you know what? The de- doesn't the devil just want to get up in the electronics? I mean, we test this thing, it works. We're, we're broadcasting the truth of God's Word, and the devil just gets in those things. In the name of Jesus, we ask and we command in the name of Jesus that this equipment would work so Kamal can share this truth. Amazing. All right. Uh, I don't know where I dropped out, but continue with your thought, my dear brother. Yeah, what I was saying is, uh, brother, you know, Phil uh, Haney, you know, he was not just a, a colleague, but he was a friend. You know, my last uh, acquaintance, with him, it was it was at the Valley Voters Summit uh, at uh, you know uh, Tony Perkins and General Jerry Boykin. You know we were together down there. Sure. And, uh, but he is he's engaged and he was ready to get married in the year 2020. He you know he had family. You know his uh, his uh, his uh, uh, finished with his new book, which is uh, specific and unique about fascism in uh, the new movement of uh, the communists and, uh, and the Islamists united together in the deep state and how they're going to really move in America in, uh, uh, you know, in 2020 and beyond. And, but uh, this man, he is uh, one of the originators of the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, he is an active Christian. Uh, he's been on many calls that I've been on on the phone, and he is... Uh, he was working to return to the Homeland Security, I mean, to the Department of Homeland Security, because they acquired him again because of his knowledge. And and so, therefore, he was working on all this. And uh, in, in real truth, he was a decent human being. Yeah. And and he is a good man, just like you, Brother Alex. You know, he is a man with no guile. And, and mm-hmm. he has deep faith. He was a patriot. He was a gentleman. He was a great investigator. He was a philosopher and relentless, uh, you know, force against evil. He authored, you know, uh, a book. It's called uh, "See Something, Say Nothing." You know, and, uh, and yes, that's really, I remember that. Yeah, he put everything out and open. You know, he was a whistleblower on what happened under the Obama administration, how they started hiding Islamization of America, 
and uh, you know, from whether from the Homeland Security to uh, uh, the FBI to the, the CIA to uh, you know all of it. So he he wrote on this, and he was uh, an amazing force in a time that he did not worry about his his, uh, his you know if he will die for his cause. So in my humble opinion. Uh, I don't believe a man in his gesture and his character, uh, who is, uh, he just wrote a new book, he's about to get married, he's full of life, he's traveling all over the world speaking, and here he shot himself in the chest outside of his car. Any decent man, in my humble opinion, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, they, they should be a decency because if anyone's going to kill themselves, they kill themselves in a private place. And not outside of their car. They don't shoot themselves in the chest. They shoot themselves in the head. You know, yeah. from my perspective, where I come from, you don't do this. The, the, the agonizing shots to the heart, many times they, they don't die immediately. So they go in a trip of pain while the lungs are collapsing. You know, and that is, if he is a smart officer and he was an armed officer and trained. And he knew he ballistics, didn't he? Yes, he did. He would have never shut himself in the chest. And and you you knew him, you and he spoke at some of the same events. In your opinion, he didn't seem to be a person that was uh, plotting the end of his life, did he? No, he was a songwriter. He was a philosopher. He was a poet. He was a music player. I mean, this guy is full of life. Just like when you play the guitar and sing, you, <laughs> you have so much equality like both of you. And I don't think that this man believed in killing himself, knowing Christ is Lord and Savior. So, so let me ask you this. Assuming that there were people who wanted him dead, and they arranged and Philip Haney was murdered, if, if that is the case, and, and his death certainly is suspicious, um, would you say that—what well, what does this say? If Philip Haney was murdered, Kamal, what does this say about the deep state in America? Well, number one, he was in California. He moved to California. And, and, and by the way, the report came in California. Nobody heard shots. Nobody knew because everything, they have projectors over there, uh, which is if somebody shot a bullet, it reports to the police exactly the place of their standing, where they're standing, where it came from. And there was not one report on this. But number two, uh, you know, uh, you know, from the examiner, the, the, he was uh, made, he made a deal with them, and he was about to release his book uh, in 2020, uh, the new book. Uh, you know, and he uh, published that on uh, the examiner. And then the the the, uh, the nature of his book it was specifically about how this communist, socialist, so-called socialist, but hiding communist understanding. In the fascist understanding, uniting with the Muslim Brotherhood and the Islamic movement in America to subjugate America to the deep state, you know, in the next four years, specifically if our presidents win. You know, so therefore, uh, he had a lot to lose if this book, I mean, um, we will know so much more if, if this book is released. And I hope his daughters, he has two daughters, I hope they release this book because it's revealed the tactics, the strategies. And uh, the global movement, you know, within America, and, and uh, that they're trying to dominate America, and now they're going after the people who are speaking on the subject. 
but before we get too far into our time uh, slot here, how can people find you, Kamal? You, you speak. He's the author of a number of incredible resources, folks. This is somebody that you want to meet, somebody you want to hear from. He's a Christian brother, but he's a, a great uh, patriot and American. How can people find you? What's your website, Kamal? The, my website is Kum, K-O-O-M-E, next word, no spaces, ministries.com, kumministries.com. I-E-S, uh, ministries, I-E-S, right. Yes, sir, and they also, an 800 number, it's 877-274-7303, that's uh, our 800 number, but if you want to go to our website, there's my book, The Blood of Lamb, it tells you uh, where I came from, and it, uh, also I have a book with General Jerry Boykins called The Coalition to Forewarn America Before It's Too Late, and then we have many other resources, the unveiling theory. What's a bigger threat to our country right now? I, I see in the news, Kamal, where Disney has its first uh, LGBTQ trans character, a cartoon character that will begin to be in Disney films. So the the ingratiating of homosexuality to young people has been going on for years, and so many millennials and younger, even millennials and younger that profess to be Christians, um, they accept more what the world says about sexuality and gender than the Word of God. In your opinion, Kamal, what's a bigger threat to our, our Constitution and our freedoms, the rise of Islam or the rise of homosexuality and transgenderism? Yes. Yes, to both of them. Uh, and, the reason <laughs> yes. why, and the reason why I say yes is because, you know, we need to understand that the Islamists uh, study, start uh, studying the LGBTQ uh, theology, because it's not, it's not just a, a thing, it's a movement, it's a religious movement, it has its own spirit, it has many other things. And so therefore they start studying this, and they studied the communists, movement, how it's affected America, and they duplicated everything verbatim. So they start infiltrating our culture on every level, from uh, uh, media and from, uh, you know, art and entertainment, uh, from family, from, uh, you know, education, all of it on all those spheres influence that make America what it is today, specifically the government. So what we're really dealing with today is we're dealing with a system of lobbyists. They know that the gatekeepers are in the state capital, and these people are willing, several of them willing to, to trade their souls for the mighty dollars. So they will sit down with any lobbyist that, that they need to. But here's the, the, the crazy part. One, the culture is demoralized and, and starts subjugated to all those issues, then Islam become an answer to replace holiness and righteousness instead of Christianity. This is one of the bases of the move. That's why Islam does not attack, you know, the homosexual in America. That's why they don't attack, you know, the people who are aborting children, because they want the system to fail. So they can say, we are uh, replacing the system, or we bring a better solution to this culture, and that is the agenda of the Muslim Brotherhood that I was brought in with the United States of America. So yeah. they're equally evil. You, you know, 20 years ago, Dr. Dobson, James Dobson, said to me, 
And I've heard him say publicly that the rise of the homosexual movement was not so much about rights for anybody or tolerance, it was about opposing the gospel. And a lot of people couldn't immediately see the connection between the rise of homosexuality, the mainstreaming of homosexuality, and the gospel. But now, I mean, we see this a lot. I mean, if you, if you call out sin, and if we basically proclaim the gospel, you know, it's called hate speech. We, we've either got to change the gospel or change this mindset of tolerance and, and accusation against Christians, um, it is a spiritual battle for the souls of people, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, let's, let's look at it this way in the bigger picture. Many times we look at the, uh, what we're saying and the question, the, the question. Hey, hey, we, I hear that music. Listen, we're going to have to pull away. This is Alex McFarland with our dear friend and colleague Kamal Salim. You need to go to Koom Ministries, K-O-O-M-E Ministries.com. You need to be acquainted with this guy. Stay tuned. The line of fire you is going to come back news after confusing? this. Oh God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. It's the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here, honored to be sitting in for Dr. Brown, who is traveling. Hey, we've got some exciting stuff coming up, and and I've got another guest I'm so excited for you to meet. But uh, I was just on the road over the weekend in Pennsylvania and Ohio, and, uh, you know, everywhere I go, people are asking the question, how do we reach millennials and younger? Millennials, Gen Z, 100 million, 120 million strong. And as, as you may know, uh, the, the millennials and Gen Z and younger are probably the least religious of any, you know, generation in American history. And the numbers vary, but, you know, roughly three out of four claim to not believe in God, and it may be more like 85%. And so we've got March 8 and 9 in Western North Carolina. Now listen to this. We have got what I call a national strategy briefing on reaching millennials and younger. Our ministry, Truth for a New Generation, Dr. Brown has been one of my speakers. We've, in 22 years, done 46 major citywide events, and we've done, oh my goodness, we've we've had, you know, a low of 400 people, a high of 5,000 people, generally two to 3,000 attendees. We've had speakers like Ravi Zacharias and James Dobson, Chuck Colson, Josh McDowell, Eric Metaxas, Dr. Michael Brown, Kamal Salim, you name it. But we try to engage and equip. But the Lord has allowed us to develop a strategy, and we've we've really kind of beta tested it in a couple of churches. It works. Um, young people are hearing the gospel. Young people are getting connected with church. Young people are accepting Christ. And not only that, learning how to think biblically and defend their faith. So I would love for you to come. March 8 and 9, it's a Sunday night, it's a half a day Monday. I'm going to do a special training seminar, and uh, there's really no cost. It's free. However, you do have to pay for your lodging, and we make no money on this. There's no markup or anything like that. But I want to give you the number of my office. Uh, my email is alex at alexmcfarland.com. That's A-L-E-X at alexmcfarland.com. And uh, the number is 877-YES-GOD-1, Y-E-S-G-O-D, the number one. So 877-YES-GOD-1. 
God one. If you care about, let me just put it this way, not only saving the country in terms of spiritual salvation, people finding Christ and being forgiven, but look, we've got to talk, and I do, I talk to young people every week, wherever I am, about socialism versus capitalism, about a communist state versus our representative republic. And so, folks, if you care about this nation, you care about the future, uh, we are going to have to think biblically. We're going to have to know our content. We're going to have to, yes, address politics. And so, uh, folks, we've got to care about God and country. And so our ministry is here to help you do that. Um, Right now, I want to change gears, and this is so appropriate, so apropos for what we're talking about. Tracy Lynn Russell is an author, a Christian leader. Um, she's got an amazing story about what God has done in her life. And, uh, you know, I, she's been on the radio with a lot of leaders, my former boss and my dear friend, Dr. James Dobson. And she's amazing because she's part of the solution. I mean, if you read about, you know, I think about the twice nomin- twice Pulitzer-nominated historian and sociologist Dr. Rodney Stark at Baylor. He writes about how Christianity overturned the Roman Empire. And if you ask, you know, how did that happen? The good evangelical answer is, well, the tomb is empty and Christians passionately preached and the gospel prevailed. And that's true. It is. But what happened in a culture where life was cheap, there was gross immorality, there was paganism, just ubiquitous how did Christianity prevail in the Roman Empire when they had very little social cachet? They were a persecuted minority. Christianity, in, in a matter of decades, turned the Roman Empire upside down on the strength of the family, marriage and family. And Stark documents, along with others, yes, the gospel is true, the tomb is empty, but what enabled Christianity to gain social momentum that just became vertical uh, was the family, marriage and family. I'm going to cut to the chase. It, It was just a better way to live. And somebody who really exemplifies that is Tracy Lynn Russell. And I wanted to have her on and and talk about her book and talk about her ministry because it goes right in line with what our country so desperately needs right now. Tracy, are you there? I'm here, Alex. Thank you so much for having me on your program today. Well, thank you, and sorry for that somewhat lengthy ramp-up, that uh, introduction. We, we, It's good. We've got a good, you know, 22 minutes plus, but um, we had some uh, a little glitch in the first segment, and I wanted to make up a little ground here, but um, appreciate you very much. I've got to ask you, like so many Christian leaders, are you headed to Nashville this week for the big conference, the National Religious Broadcasters? I am. I'm actually sitting here with my friend in her living room in Nashville on a very rainy day, and we are preparing to head over there in a little bit, Um, but it's a very exciting time, and we're very excited to be a part of God getting His story out there through the radio and through broadcasting. Well, amen. Thank you. Thanks for making time for this um, interview. And hey, before we get too much farther, I want you, and we'll do this a couple of times, I want you to give your website. How can people find you? Well, what I'm offering right now is actually a free devotional series to anyone who's interested in marriage, wants to be encouraged in their faith, or someone who's struggling in marriage, and it's called SaveMyMarriageStory.com, mm-hmm. and it's just the word, SaveMyMarriageStory.com, 
or they can reach me personally at tracylynrussell.com. But really, at savemymarriagestory.com, if they register, they'll receive seven free encouraging stories on marriage and relationships. And really, we believe that just through our stories of faith, that God can move hearts and um, change minds. You know, one of the greatest sources of joy in life is family and marriage. One of the greatest opportunities for pain and struggle and stress is marriage and family. Um, what What is your message for somebody who's um, either hurting right now, wounded, or, or really in the midst of a struggle related to their marriage? Mm-hmm. Alex, I am so glad you asked me. I was that person. Um, 25 years ago, I got married on a beautiful day. And like so many of your listeners, I had this amazing plan for my life. And I thought that that marriage was just going to go off without a hitch. But as I left that ceremony and I looked into my husband's beautiful eyes, I saw his face face cloud over. And the story of my life was about to radically change. And as we boarded our honeymoon cruise, and I thought, this is it. I have lived the greatest story any woman can ever want. Um, my husband turned to me and said, I don't think we should have been married. And that was after the vows were said in front of 250 guests. And after all those wonderful promises had been made, suddenly the story of my life radically changed. So you guys are newlyweds, and he says this to you. We were newlyweds. Yes, we were newlyweds. And he just clouded over with doubt and fear. And, you know, James Dobson says in his book, Love Must Be Tough, that really marriage struggles can start, Alex, one day into the marriage. 10 days into the marriage or 10 years into a marriage, we really don't know. But my problem began on the first day. My goodness. And so that was really, that was really not the story I had planned for my life. I I know in Proverbs, it says many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's really the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I did. Were were you a Christian at this point? I was a wholehearted believer in Jesus Christ, and I thought my husband was, too. He was one of those really great guys that went to church with me, that I thought that we were both committed in our faith. But what was going to happen was God was going to entrust me with a really painful story in our marriage, and ultimately, the salvation, my husband was going to come to a wholehearted surrender in Jesus Christ. But it took a very painful first marriage story for us. So um, how long... How long was it into this kind of rocky start that you realized that you were, not only were you a newlywed, but you had an assignment from your Savior? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was about three months into the marriage when I started, I, I immediately was just realizing this was not the way it was supposed to be. But um, as I went to a doctor's appointment one day and I was not feeling well, suddenly the doctor emerged with a beautiful smile and said, congratulations, Mrs. Russell, you're pregnant. And again, I turned to my husband, and he said, Tracy, I told you I didn't want to be married, and I don't want to be a father either. And so I knew at that point I was in big trouble. And really, the marriage just progressed to be one disappointment after another. I thought, certainly after we had the baby, that would turn him around, and that didn't happen. And so my life was just coming to this really, really painful point where I realized I had a problem, and I could not fix it by being a the perfect Christian wife by trying to read my Bible or pray more or do more. I just could not solve this problem. And that's when a friend told me about about the book by James Dobson, Love Must Be Tough. And that was really a turning point for me. And that was about two and a half years 
into the marriage and and having a small child. Even even quote good Christians, faithful Christian families go through some deep deep valleys, don't they? Absolutely, yes. And you know, um, I always tell everybody, no marriage is immune from trouble. And we sometimes think once we have that security in life, we're, none of us are bulletproof. And God will use whatever it takes to really bring us to that moment where we are wholeheartedly in relationship with Him. And so after I read that book, Love Must Be Tough, I realized through James Dobson that I needed to be tough, that I needed to stand up, read my husband a letter that James Dobson recommends, And so that night when he came home and he was really struggling with being married, I finally looked him in the face and I said, I am so sorry that you do not want to be married. I'll always love you. I'll always honor our marriage vows. But if you don't want to be married, you need to go. And he turned to me at that moment, Alex, and he said, I'll never forget these words. He said, you know, I think what it would take to save our marriage is that I'd have to become a Christian and I'm not going to become a Christian. And he walked out that door. And I should have known right then that God was in this because, um, Whenever someone says never, Alex, it's always a good sign to just keep your eyes open for God to show up. But you know what that. I've learned? Um, <laughs> in an arm wrestling match with God, God That's wins. Right. That's right. He does. He does. And so, you know, Mark and I separated, and life went on without me and the baby, and I just thought, oh, my goodness, this is it. Um, but God wasn't done. And so what happened was Mark was out of the blue after all of my begging, pleading, crying, Mark was invited to a Bible study and by a friend, and he couldn't get the guy off his back, but finally he just went, and somebody stood up at that Bible study and said, I'm so sorry our main speaker is not here today. All I've got is my story. And the man shared his story, and Mark's life began to change. Hey, hold that thought. We're talking with Tracy Lynn Russell. This is an amazing story for everyone listening who needs hope. Alex McFarland sitting in for Dr. Michael Brown on the line of fire. Don't go away. We're back after this. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to The Line of Fire. Alex McFarlane here, honored to be sitting in for my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, and he is phenomenal, and I appreciate you following him and listening to him. Uh, Like I said before we brought Tracy Lynn Russell up, we've got a briefing March 8 and 9. It's just under two weeks away. It's a, a national strategy briefing on reaching millennials and younger. We have got a strategy that will work. It's working in every church that we've tried it so far to begin discussion groups to talk to young people about issues like, does God exist? And why is there pain and suffering in the world? And and what should I do with my life? How can I know God's plan for my life? And if you want to come to our strategy briefing, this is Truth for a New Generation Ministries, the, the main thing that I do of about a dozen things, it seems like. But uh, my number, I know we're throwing a lot of data at you, and this is the last time in this show I'll give this number, so listen carefully, please. one eight seven seven yes god one 877-YES-GOD-1, or you can email me and uh, my staff at alex at alexmcfarland.com, alex at alexmcfarland.com. I do want to tell you that we're going to be talking about that Tuesday and Wednesday, plus some other great guests. 
But the time we've got left, I want to hone in uh, with Tracy Lynn Russell. Her website, listen to this, folks, SaveMyMarriageStory.com. SaveMyMarriageStory.com. Tracy, this is phenomenal, and I want to throw something at you. And then I want to ask, you know, um, when your husband said, you know, to save the marriage, it would require him to become a Christian. Um, First question, at at that point in his journey, what was the big obstacle? Why, Why wouldn't he want to become a Christian, at least at that point? There were things, uh, thanks for asking that, Alex. Um, There were things in his life that he was not willing to deal with, uh, that he had brought into our marriage um, prior to us being married. And there were also, I didn't know at the time, there were instances and moments of unfaithfulness that he had been engaged in. And he really was in a downward spiral of sin, and he didn't know how to pull out of that. And so I think that for him, it was just easier to walk away and, you know, just break it off and kind of bow out gracefully and say it's over. And what we found, like I had mentioned, is that God was not done with the story of our lives. And when Mark went to that Bible study that that day, someone shared a story. A man just stood up and shared his story of how he overcame sin. And suddenly the lights went on for Mark, and he realized that Jesus Christ was able to help him get over that mountain of sin instead of just running away from it. And so it's really, you know, sometimes the most powerful way that we communicate the gospel with one another is just sharing our story. And in that, Mark just found so much hope. So Amen. that was really how that moment happened for him. Did, did he, in, in that season of his journey, as he understood that, you know, uh, this was worth it, whatever necessary work, whatever admissions needed to take place to become a Christian, it was worth it. Did he begin to have hope for the marriage at that point? He did. I mean, his light started turning around. He called everyone, friends and family, and apologized. And we were trying to work things out. But unfortunately, what happened with me, even as a believer in Jesus Christ, Alex, I started to focus on the pain of what he had caused me. And I wanted out. I didn't like the story. I thought, you've turned around a little too late. And so when I found out about the unfaithfulness, I welled up with so much bitterness and anger that I said, I'm so sorry you've decided to do that. That's great that your life is turning around, but we're getting a divorce. And I really had given up and really didn't understand that God was powerful and he could work in that story. So we ended up getting a divorce, and Mark was actually then on the side of just was absolutely devastated, but he just kept trusting God. And so for as much as he had been turned around from that life of sin, now I was in a life of unforgiveness as a believer. And so it was really going to take... I just didn't know how that I could even pull out of just the anger and the bitterness that I felt. And so what it really took was, yeah, go ahead. It's it's so interesting that the roles changed. I mean, in the beginning, you were the champion to save the marriage, and then you initiated the divorce, am I right? I did, because I had found out, and I didn't realize... um, Really, at that point, as a very young believer, I did not realize that God is able to work in our worst failed plans, that He still has a purpose. And I had not lived the words of Romans 8.28 yet, that in all things, God can work them together for good. And so I just thought, well, it's up to me to figure this out for you, Lord. I need to find someone else and have a different marriage. But what the Lord showed me is that I needed to come into a first love relationship with Him. And He really showed me that when um, Mark came over to my house one night with an alimony check, and I looked in his wallet, and there was a picture of our wedding day, and I told him, buddy, get over it, we're divorced. 
And Mark just looked at me in the face and said, you know what, one day you're going to see God's changed me. And he went off to a Promise Keepers rally in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you remember that. From oh, yes. Yes, and I said, well, have fun at Promise Breakers. I'm out of here. And so I drove down to a wedding, and on the radio, Alex, the only station I could get was a Christian radio station, and it was really about repentance. And I realized that I had turned my back on my first love of God through my unforgiveness. And then they said, the, the announcer broke in and said, we're broadcasting live from Promise Keepers, and now we're going to move to marital relations. And they challenged the men. They said, men, get out a picture of your wives. Today is the day God's going to make you the husband and the father you were meant to be. So here I was in the middle of nowhere in Florida. My ex-husband now is at a Promise Keepers rally holding up our picture from our wedding day, and I had just seen it in his wallet. And I couldn't believe this was happening, but God was giving me a picture of what he can do in the story of marriage when he resurrects um, dead hopes and dreams. Um, let people go of unforgiveness, and really um, brings a marriage back to life. And so the next day I got a call from my ex-husband at the time, and he said, Tracy, I need to come talk to you. And he drove back, and I drove back, and he said, I've always wondered why I kept a picture of you in my wallet. And, of course, I'm sitting there. I had heard the whole thing on the radio. And he said, I, I want to be that husband and father. I'm so sorry for all I did, but will you marry me. Don't trust me, trust Christ in me. And I want to be that Christian man. I want to be that Christian father. And I want to live our lives with God as the solid foundation. And, you know, I looked in his eyes and for that moment, I saw um, the beauty of God just shining through. And I, I know I told the listeners that on that wedding day, I saw the eyes cloud over. And if you've ever seen someone struggling with sin, it's almost like you lose them physically too. Yeah. But I saw the light turned back on in his heart. And, you know, six weeks later, we were remarried in Christ uh, with no no one watching, just my uncle who married us the first time, no 250 guests, but that remarriage in Christ, that firm foundation has lasted 23 years. We have three more children. We have four children total. And I can honestly tell you, yes, that the marriage I have with Mark is, I can't imagine my life without him as a godly husband and father and um, it's just proof positive that our story is really that God can do anything, and He really can resurrect dead marriages. He can resurrect dead people, and His power is far greater than we can dream or imagine. The website, SaveMyMarriageStory.com, Seven Devotions yes. to Encourage Your Faith in Your Marriage by Tracy Lynn Russell, our guest on the line of fire right now. So is this like a free download people can get? It is. It's seven stories. Some of them were not able to be um, told on the James Dobson show. Our story was just aired for about 5 million listeners on James Dobson. It'll give them the link to our story in depth. They can hear from Mark because he was invited in by um, James Dobson into the studio too. Two days of me sharing our story. And then they'll get seven devotionals to just encourage them because I know whether they're struggling right now, Alex, or whether they're in a great marriage, we all need to hear stories of faith that God is with us in those moments. And so it really just offers them stories, just seven devotional stories that will encourage them, and the links to the Dobson Show, and ways to get in touch with me. And, and you know, the, this is so important right now. Um, I want to ask Tracy about what she thinks about millennials and younger who really don't have a very high view of marriage, but first I want to do something else. Tracy, if you would speak to the listener who says, um, yeah, but my story is hopeless. 
And I love what you right. just said a moment ago. Christ rose the dead, rose uh, people from the dead, resurrected himself. Colossians says that Jesus created the whole universe, holds it together by the word of his power. I mean, our God is able, isn't he? He is able. And, you know, my friend and I, we were praying before we got on the show. Alex, we are praying for that listener, for hearts to be changed, for us to remember the gospel that we proclaim, which is, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I'm on this show with you today, Alex, to remind our listeners that I have literally seen a dead man come back to life. I have lived a dead marriage that has come back to life. And that gospel we proclaim in Jesus is real. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead can resurrect people today. And, um, you know, I share a lot of stories with women. I hear a lot of stories from women. But we've got to be sharing the story. And to answer your question about millennials, I just recently interviewed Sean McDowell on my podcast, sure, The Heart yeah. of the Story. And what he really said, he's written a book called So the Next Generation Will Know. And he, one of the main points is we have got to be people that share our story, Alex, just our story that, you know, sometimes this um, Gen Z, they've heard all the verses, they've been sitting in church, they've watched their parents, but they need to hear the story of us struggle. And that's why my husband and I are out sharing the story so that we can just be a reminder and a story of someone who has seen God work, who has faith in God. And we're not deep theologians. We've, we've seen the power of Jesus Christ, and we want to share that story and offer that hope today. Amen. Save my marriage story, the Tracy Lynn Russell story. Hey, we got to go, folks. This is the line of fire. Alex McFarland, very excited to be sitting in for Dr. Brown for a couple of days. Listen, uh, we have got a, a nation to save and a generation to win to Christ. Be tuned to the line of fire. We're going to help you get equipped. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thanks, Alex.